If you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, uh, John 20, as we look at this portion of the uh, Gospel of John, beginning at verse 19 through the end of the chapter. And following the reading of Scripture, we'll sing the glory of pottery, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Uh, Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. Can we really be sure that Jesus has risen from the dead? That uh, poor Galilean who said that he came in fulfillment of all the promises of God in the Old Testament, who was put to shame in his sufferings and death on the cross, um, executed in a shameful way, was crucified, he was buried. Did he really come from the grave? Can we believe that? Well, God has marshaled many different witnesses to that truth, to confirm that truth to us. One of the witnesses is Thomas. And it's he that I want us to reflect on this morning as we think about that. We have looked at Thomas once before, a long time ago. And it doesn't hurt for us to kind of remember him and his story. And there are three things about his story that I want to draw to your attention to this morning. The first is his absence. The second is his doubting or unbelief. The third is his faith. Uh, On that very first Easter evening, the first day of the week, 
has become for us the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, uh, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples were gathered in the upper room uh, where they had celebrated Passover and they were had the doors locked. The fact that that was mentioned must mean it was significant. Just as some of us with a few gray hairs on us remember the day when you wouldn't have to lock the doors of your house. You, in fact, we had, mail, we had milkmen that would come and they would open the door to your house and put the milk right inside. They, but they were behind locked doors and they were afraid. What were they afraid of? They, some of them had seen Jesus alive. Um, they had appeared to Peter for sure, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, some of the women, if they were in their company that evening, they could give testimony. We've seen Jesus, but they're afraid. Afraid of what the Jewish authorities might do. They're probably already spreading the rumor that the disciples had stolen the body of the Lord. But suddenly Jesus stands in their midst and he says to them, peace. He most likely would have said, shalom. Peace be unto you. And he speaks a word of peace to them. And he, he shows them his hands and his side and said, look, it's me. The one who is dead, the one who is crucified, it's me, really me. And he ate with them so they'd know that he was a real person and not a ghost. And then the Lord blesses them. He commissions them. And he breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. This is sort of a pre Pentecost anticipation. It doesn't mean Pentecost is not going to happen. It will happen. Uh, Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit until he's poured out. But the significant detail that John makes clear in this context for, uh, for us to get in verse 24 is this little detail. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples. When Jesus came. Thomas wasn't there. Why wasn't he there? The rest of the disciples were together. Why wasn't he there? Now we can speculate and try to think about different things. Which probably won't be profitable for us. But the point that John's drawing out. The point that he wants us to see. Is Thomas wasn't there when Jesus said peace. Peace be unto you. And Thomas is for us a reminder of how significant and important it is for us to be among God's people in worship. Now you might say to me, that's kind of a cheap shot on Easter when we've got a lot of people visiting and here that haven't been around, but I don't mean it to be a cheap shot. I mean it to be a a very urgent reminder That we need to be where the word of peace is spoken to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't come here to hear me. You come to hear the Lord Jesus Christ speak through the word of God to you. And he comes to you each Lord's Day with the word of peace. And when we're not there to hear it, we miss it. Thomas missed it. He could have been there, but he missed it. He missed hearing that 
wonderful word of peace. But then we come to the description of his doubt. In verse 25, uh, sometime after that day, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And here the the other ten are giving testimony, united testimony, and the, the women, if they're there, give united testimony. We have seen the Lord. Why wouldn't he believe them? Why wouldn't he accept their testimony? But what we see him saying, what we hear him saying is, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The problem isn't the problem of a lack of evidence. The problem is the deliberate choice not to believe. And later on, when Jesus will command him, quit. The NIV translates it, quit doubting. It's quit being an unbeliever, but believe. So the problem wasn't a lack of evidence. The problem wasn't a lack of testimony. The problem was Thomas refused to believe. And what happens is a week later, The disciples were in the house and Thomas was with him and we're going to see Jesus come to them. Um, You know, we often identify with Peter. He's one that uh, puts his foot in his mouth and and most of us have had that uh, issue. We tend to do that from time to time, put our foot in our mouths. Maybe you haven't thought about the fact that you and I have a lot in common with Thomas too. He was a slow learner. He didn't catch on. A couple instances of that. If you look in John, turn earlier to John chapter 11. It's in the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. And uh, the news had come to, um, to Jesus that Lazarus had been sick. And uh, he knew he was going to die. If we pick up the account in verse 11, it says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now his his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas, what are you talking about? Jesus hasn't said anything about opposition or hostility or fear for his life. He's not talking about that. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there so that I could go and I could wake him up so that you might believe. But Thomas is not getting it. Uh, he's, he's not catching on. He's a slow learner. If we turn uh, to John 14, a few chapters um, beyond 11, John 14, verse 1 We have Jesus giving one of his great promises. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
I believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me uh, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas, again, rather thick-headed, along with the other disciples and along with us, asked the question, uh, he makes the comment, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus has just told them where he was going. He has just got done saying, I'm going to the Father to prepare a place for you. And yet Thomas has the gall to say, well, we don't know where you're going. I just told you. But Jesus, ever the compassionate one, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He tells him the way. He reminds him of the way, that he's the way. So we come back to John 20. After Thomas's statement, I will not believe... Uh, The disciples are in the house and the doors are locked and Jesus stood among them. And he again says the word, uh, peace be with you. Wonderful statement of peace. Shalom. And then without beating around the bush, he immediately goes to Thomas and says, Thomas here, look, here are my hands, put your Finger in my nail prints. Here's my side. Put your hand in the the wound in my side. He offers himself to this unbelieving disciple. What a tremendous, compassionate thing. Uh, I read once where a person said, the greatest kind of man is the one who is willing to stoop to meet the needs of of the weak. And here the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ is so eminently revealed. He doesn't at this moment rebuke Thomas. He is going to give him a command to quit being unbelieving. He didn't doesn't rebuke him here. He doesn't uh, say you're no longer my disciple. He says, "Thomas, here I am. Take a look. See." And then he gives him the command, "Stop be being an unbeliever and believe. Stop doubting. It's a fair translation, but it's literally stop being unbelieving and believe. Hear the truth. Hear the evidence. Hear the, the statements. Asking questions is not a problem. Questions help move us toward the truth, but unbelief doesn't. Unbelief says, well, it's unbelievable, so I I can't believe it or I won't believe it. Questions are saying, is this really true? We have two great examples of this point, how questions are okay, but unbelief is not. The two great examples of this are in the narrative, the birth narrative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two people, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Both are given the same 
promised by an angel, and the two have significantly different responses. The angel comes to Zechariah and says to to Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. And Zechariah can't believe it. This is unbelievable. Prove it to me. How can I be sure of this? Prove it. It's the angel, the message of the angel. He's standing there right in front of him. And the angel says, well, I'll prove it to you. You're going to be silent for nine months to show you that what I said is true. Then you have the angel taking the very same message to Mary. And she says, the angel says to Mary, Mary, you're going to have a son. And you might think her request is, her question is the same as Zechariah, but it's quite different. Essentially, she's saying, I believe all things are possible with God. But how can this happen since I'm not married? See, she believes and receives the answer to her question. The problem with Thomas is he refused to believe. And he had to be called to faith. Stop doubting and believe. And then the last part of the story is this wonderful confession of faith. A tremendous confession of faith that Thomas gives Does he look at Jesus? Does he put his fingers in his hands? Does he put his hand in his side? I think not. He's overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus. And we're not told that he bows on his knees, but I can't help but think he falls on his face before Christ and and confesses, my Lord and my God. A tremendous confession of faith. An acknowledgement of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there in his presence. He has the evidence in front of him. And by God's grace, he chooses to believe. And to, to bow in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful and glorious confession of faith. But what I'd like to take you to, and not spend too much time just on that, is the way the passage ends with a tremendous benediction. A benediction that is yours. The whole point of the Gospel of John, we could say all of the Bible, is for you to believe. It began with that great statement, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, a statement of the deity of Christ. Here it ends, this, uh, this very chapter Verses 30 and 31, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the point. It's the point of the sermon. It's the point of the Bible. It's the point of John and his gospel. It's so that you might believe, that you might hear Thomas's testimony, my Lord and my God. But Jesus makes this statement to, to Thomas. Because you've seen me, you've believed? Kind of a question mark, an amazement. Uh, but then the benediction. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The majority of Christians that have lived since uh, this time when the disciples were there in Jesus' presence, the vast majority, all, all the believers that have lived in the centuries that have followed, haven't seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. And yet they believe. And they believe upon the testimony and the witness of the disciples and of God through his word. How do you know that God exists? In part because of the people here. The temple of God is the people of God in which he dwells by his spirit. The benediction that comes to you, those of you sitting here in this place in 2022, is that same benediction Jesus pronounced on that day. Blessed are all you that have not seen and yet believe. That's the blessing, that's the benediction, that's the peace that Jesus has come to give you. Do you receive that by faith? Have you come to know that by faith? That's the message of Christ to you today. May you receive that word of benediction and embrace by faith your Lord and your God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even as we at times have periods of struggle, doubt, questions in our life. We thank you, Lord, that you stoop in your kindness and your mercy and your love to answer those and give us the opportunity of faith. Father, I pray that for each of us in this room today, you might give to us the grace to believe and that we would bow the knee to Jesus as our Lord and our God. And so receive from him that message of peace. And we pray this for the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.